Well, it's great to see so many of you here. I know it's uh, bank holiday weekend, and uh, we expected a whole load of people to be away, but we are pretty heaving in here this morning. So it's really good to have you with us. Hopefully you're not too hot. I know it's a little bit warm in here, but I can see some people are fanning themselves, which is great. Now, uh, as Phil mentioned, over the last uh, few weeks, we've been uh, in a series called Origins, um, looking at the book of Genesis and the characters within it. And uh, the strap line for the series has been stories of hope. And we've been considering what the lives of those characters can teach us and how their stories interweave with our stories to provide inspiration to us and hope. And hopefully you've taken some lessons away from some of the uh, messages that have been brought over the last few weeks. And today, as you've seen, we're going to be looking at the character of Abraham. He's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And so we're going to turn to um, uh, Genesis chapter 15 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you may want to turn there. Um, If you don't, it will come up on the screen a bit later. But while you're flicking there, um, I just want to tell you a story. And it's a story about how my parents got together. Are you you prepared to listen to this story? Yes, fantastic. Excellent. So uh, my mum and dad, they went to uh, primary school together. They grew up together. And uh, at the end of primary school, they went their separate ways, went on to different high schools and uh, just got on with their lives. And then about 15 or so years later, my dad uh, was in London and he hopped onto a bus. And uh, lo and behold, as he stepped on the bus, he saw this thing of beauty. It was Janice Mehew, my mother, uh, looking glorious and radiant. And obviously, because she looked so fantastic, he you know, being, being the, uh, you know, sort of, uh, I don't know, what, what do you call them? And, uh, yeah, anyway, he's very confident with, uh, I think, with women. And he went, just walked up to her and said, hello, Janice. And she kind of looked at him blankly initially. And then when he said his name, she was like, yes, and pretended to know who, who she was. Um, and they, they chatted and they were like, oh, great. And they just got on really well. But then obviously these things happen. My mum's stop came, or so she said, it was her stop, um, and just stepped off the bus. And uh, just as the bus was about to leave, my dad, do you know what he did? He hopped off the bus as well, just when she was around the corner, so she couldn't see, and he followed her. (laughs) My dad, I found out, is a stalker. Oh, my word. So anyway, he follows her um, back to home, keeping the distance, like in the films, you know, standing still when she turned around, and, and followed her back to her house. And she stepped inside. And then he sort of observed, noted, and then went off. And about a week later, he thought, I'll go and visit her. So he went round to her house, knocked on the door. And uh, my mum was getting ready to be a bridesmaid at a wedding. It was a Saturday morning. And she opened the door and was like, oh, hello, you again. How on earth did you know where I lived? And my dad made up some story. Oh, yeah, I did a bit of research and, you know, you know, spoke to some friends who sort of knew you and they told me where you lived. And she was like, okay, come in, come in. And so he went in and they chatted. And uh, my dad said to my mum, you are just so happy. There's something about you. You're beaming. And he's like, what, what is it? Why are you so happy? Is it, a, do you go to a deaf club? My parents were deaf. Do you go to a deaf club? She was like, no, 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 no. She said, I go to a church and it's great. And, I, I, and, and then she b- began to tell her story to my dad and opened up about how she was a Christian and began to share the gospel with my dad. And my dad just lapped it up and she invited him along, even though she must have thought, weird stalker, to her church the following week. And so he went along and uh, he enjoyed himself. And I, from what I hear, he actually then sort of saw another woman who he really liked and ended up going out with her. 
But then he saw the error of his ways and eventually got back together with my mum. Anyway, in the midst of all of this, okay, God met with him and God spoke to him and he gave his life to Jesus. Flirty fishing, they call it, but he gave his life to Jesus and he went on to become a pastor of a deaf church and then he became an elder in his own right at at Southley, the church we were at before this church. And God did something awesome in him and he's now in glory, hallelujah, with, with his heavenly father. And I tell you this because we all have a story to tell, don't we? It might not be quite as crazy and dramatic as that one, but we all have a story to tell, to t- tell a story of hope. And as I mentioned just now, we are looking at stories of hope and every salvation story is a story of hope. People in hopeless situations far from God to whom God comes to bring ultimate hope. But sometimes what we forget, because we're preoccupied with Jesus and we love him and our relationship with him, which is brilliant, is we sometimes forget that actually there's more to it because our wonderful individual stories are linked to a much bigger story which goes way back in time, beyond even Jesus, all the way back to Abraham. And if you like, our individual stories are like stitches in God's vast tapestry, his redemption plan. That's fantastic, isn't it? And one of the passages in the Bible which sums this big, glorious plan up more than any other is Genesis chapter 15. So let's read it together from verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abraham said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I shall gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep. And a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And if we skip to verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking brazier with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of Abraham, and I'm going to refer to him as Abraham, which is the name that he then acquired, just for ease, because I'll forget to call him Abraham, um, I think of this huge hero of faith. Do you? I think of this, uh, he's kind of like, I I, I don't know what you would call him, but a colossus, if you like, in the pantheon of God's heroes. Like 
Mother Teresa or someone like Nelson Mandela, he seemed so far beyond anything I could ever hope to be in, in and of myself. From a distance, that's the way he looks. He's one of the heroes of faith talked about in Hebrews chapter 11. And not just one of them, but he's the one who's given the most airtime in that chapter. And the Apostle Paul describes it in Romans 4 as follows. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. He is mentioned numerous times in the New Testament, in Galatians, in Romans, in Hebrews, in other places, and he's held up as a life to imitate. And yet, despite this, what we see in the chapters of Genesis where he is featured is actually a man who appears rather weak and uncertain and sinful. And if we're honest, sometimes he just messes up. He's just an ordinary fellow. And so this morning, I just want to just make two points, really. Um, They're quite long points, but two points. And the first one's this, that God uses ordinary people to fulfill his glorious plans. Now, when I was at university in Leeds, anyone from Leeds? No? Oh, when, I was at, when I was at university in Leeds, it was a great place. Um, we used to do this thing, and I may have mentioned it before, called bar work. We did it every week on a Tuesday night, and it wasn't pulling pints in the bar. It was going into the sort of student union bar with um, sort of questionnaires and going to talk to people about what they believe, their faith, and hopefully sharing something of the gospel with them. And there was this young lady who used to do it with us. Her name was Harriet um, and she was kind of this girl who was lovely, but she, you would almost, if you saw her, you, she'd be someone you would sort of maybe overlook. She wasn't like glamorous and beautiful, and she was kind of a bit socially, um, inept. She, she struggled a bit socially. And so she was one of these people who you kind of wouldn't necessarily expect to go, go into a bar and talk to people. But she came along faithfully week after week after week. And do you know what? When we gathered back together to feed back, It was often her who'd had the most profound conversations with people and spoken to people and seen things happen. And it was just like, wow. And you know what? The following year, she then took on leading this bar work, going into the bar every Tuesday night. And she went on and did some amazing things for God. And you look at her and you think, scratch your head and think, "I, I I wouldn't have thought that. But God used her. And we can see, in the, in the, even in the passage today, the ordinary humanity of Abraham, just by looking at the first two verses. In verse 1, we're told, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. And what's preceded this chapter is that Abraham has just won a great victory over four eastern kings, powerful kings. And often when I think of Abraham, I just think of an old man with a beard with a sort of a a crook in his hand. I don't think of him going into battle, but he did. He went into battle and he won this amazing victory. And the battle was over. He was a war hero. He'd saved his nephew Lot from slavery or death. And yet despite these victories, we notice that he was fearful. God has to say to him, do not be afraid Abraham and he's probably fearful because these guys who he defeated have never been defeated before and a bit like the heavyweight boxer you know who's had 30 fights and won all 30 of them uh, 28 by knockout you know when finally he gets beaten and knocked down what what generally happens to those boxers they come back swinging don't they they come back and they want revenge they're like this is no good I want revenge I'm going to get my revenge on this person and so these armies 
were, Abraham was fearful they were going to come back to try and get revenge. So he had a mighty battle, a mighty victory in battle, but he was still fearful. He was ordinary. And then in verse 2 we read, it says this, But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abraham said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. So what do we notice there? Well, not only does he fear, but he also doubts. He's beginning to doubt the call and the promise that God had given him some 10 years previously. And you read about it in Genesis chapter 12. When God called this individual out of his home city, Ur of the Chaldees, and gave him this promise. He didn't tell him where he was going to go. And Abraham just stepped out. And in Genesis 12 we read, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. He gets this amazing promise. And Abraham, what does he do? He responds to the call of God. He comes out of the security of his own country and his own family. And he goes out, even though he didn't know where he was going to go. That's quite a step, isn't it? To leave your family, leave your security, and move out in God to somewhere you don't even know where that place is. And yet, now, 10 years later, he responds with doubt. It's as though the years have taken their toll. The kind of the idea of the promise, I'm going to make you into a great nation, is not coming to pass. And he's like beginning to doubt and he's beginning to be uncertain. And he's ready, as was the custom in his home city of Ur, to settle for making one of his slaves, Eleazar, his heir, so that he and Sarah would at least have someone who could look after them in their old age. So that's probably the extent of what would happen. Do you see what's happening? Abraham is beginning and he's willing to settle for something less than what God had promised because he couldn't see God coming through for him. And I want to just say to you this morning, I don't know about your situations, but are you here this morning and have you begun in your own mind to start settling for second best? Start settling for something less than what you know deep down inside of you God has called you to do. It might be that you've had years with God and you've had these hopes and expectations, but somehow things haven't ex- turned out how you expected. God is not wanting you to settle for second best. God wants to rouse us this morning and he wants to remind us of his promises as he was about to do with Abraham. Now, in addition to Abraham's fear and his doubt, we also know that when he was originally called by Genesis 12, Abraham was an idolater. He was a worshipper of idols. God came to someone who worshipped idols and said, I am going to use you for my purposes. We read in Joshua 24.2, it says the following, Long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. And since Ur was a city dominated by the moon god Nana, I just look at that, I just think that's a great name for a god, isn't it? Nana. If you're going to name your god anything, you wouldn't call him Nana. But anyway, they worshipped the god Nana, who was the moon god. And Abraham was most likely brought up to worship the moon at the temple with his father. He was an idolater. But we also see as we follow his story, and as I mentioned earlier, he was a compulsive sinner. He messed up, not just once, not just twice, but multiple times. 
We know some of the stories, the obvious ones. So within verses of his initial call in Genesis 12, um, we see that um, Abraham decides to move from Canaan into Egypt because of a famine. And as he enters Egypt, he's aware, I've got a very beautiful wife. Like my my dad thought about my my mum. She is very beautiful. And he was conscious that if he walked in there and said that this is my wife, he would probably be killed. So he lies and says that this is my sister. Yeah? Just totally lies. Just to avoid um, being killed. And then we see later in Genesis, after the chapter, our main chapter, chapter 15 today, that Abraham and Sarah, as the years go by, decide to take matters into their own hands when it appears the promise of descendants isn't going to happen. And Abraham ends up sleeping with Hagar in order to produce an heir. And this is something we're going to look at in a few weeks' time. He messed up. And that was just the start of it. That was the tip of the iceberg. If you read the, the, the verses, there's loads more. How about you this morning? Do you feel weak and insignificant? Do you feel sinful and ordinary? Take heart. God uses the weak and the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He uses the Harriets. He uses the Andy Floyds. He uses the, insert your name here, to shame the wise. He was an unlikely candidate, Abraham, for anything special that God had planned. But there were two things that he had going for him. And the first was this. He was descended from the line of God's promise. He was a descendant of Noah's son Shem, which made him part of the family of God that came out of the ark. The seeds that we first heard about in Genesis 3.15 that would come through Eve's line of descendants and would crush Satan's head reappears again in this passage. And instead of the word seed, we see the word offspring being used. We discover that the promise of the snake crusher, the one who had overcome the evil one, is coming through Abraham's descendants. And secondly, he was a man of faith who took God at his word and was prepared to do as he commanded. Now, as I mentioned earlier, when you look at Hebrews 11 and Romans 4, you see this man painted, a picture painted full of faith. Um, And yet, what we've just seen is that it seems the opposite. It seems that he actually stuffed up loads. It was because despite his sin, fear and doubt and seeming unbelief at times, he kept coming back to God and through that showed his faith in him. That brings me to my second point, which is this, that God is a promise keeper. Now, I don't know about you, but who makes promises here? I'm sure we all do. In fact, we probably all do multiple times a day, make many promises to people. And often, if we're honest, we don't always keep the promises that we make. Even it might be something like, oh, hi, I haven't seen you for ages. I'll probably even do it at the end of today. I haven't seen you for ages. We must get together. We must work an appointment. Nick Harris, I'm looking at you. I've, I've done this with Nick Harris. We must get together. Let's get together. And then what happens? You, you, you don't follow it up. You kind of just say, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to get together. But it doesn't happen. We, we'll make a date at the end of it. We make promises all the time to our kids. You, you might describe them as bribery rather than promises. But even this week, Hudson, who's going to be five next weekend, so if you see him, say happy birthday you know, for next week. Um, we, he's been going through a bit of a tricky patch behavior-wise. And so we just thought we need to do something about this. And we know that he loves superheroes. Who loves superheroes here? 
okay? And he loves kinder eggs, okay? And so we've got this, we've got this strategy where we say to him, Hudson, you're not doing very well at the moment. However, if by Friday, this was on Monday, you behave yourself and you do what we say, you will get a kinder egg with a superhero in it, okay? I know, wow. And lo and behold, he, he behaves himself. He does really well, and he really behaves himself. And so at the end of the week, we, we, we keep our promise. We do keep our promise, and we give him this egg. And I, I hear from my wife that actually four eggs were bought. One was intended for Leo. One was intended for his friend, who didn't actually turn up at the park. So in the end, Hudson ended up with not just one, but four superheroes. We over-delivered on our promise in that, at that point. But the point of it is, is that although we ended up keeping our promise to Hudson, the promise was absolutely 100% conditional on him behaving himself. Now, similarly, God gives, or rather reiterates, a promise to Abraham in chapter 15. But this promise doesn't appear, at least at this moment in time, to have any conditions. So in verse 4 we read, Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Now for me, this is one of the most awesome and spine-tingling moments in the Bible. When God speaks the impossible over Abraham, and then re-emphasizes the promise by taking him outside to look at the stars. Who here likes stargazing? Yeah, yeah, my wife, straight up. I gave her a telescope once. Over 100 quid it cost me. Anyway. Um, but Sarah loves gazing up at the stars, and I love it too. I love gazing up at the stars. And I remember once when I was in South Africa, we went on a missions trip to Lesotho, And uh, we were out in the sticks, and I remember a group of us lying down on the ground and gazing up at the stars. You know when you look up at the stars here, it's pretty impressive, but because of the light pollution, you only see dots here and there. But when I was there, you just saw this spray of stars, like thousands and thousands of stars. And I imagine that's what it was like for Abraham, coming out and just out in the sticks and looking at the stars. But for Abraham, looking up at the stars was a potentially hazardous or risky activity. Why do I say that? Well, it's not, not for us, but for Abraham, remember what I said earlier, he was a former moon worshipper. And it was bound to bring back memories. And what the Lord was saying to Abraham, he was asking him to ignore the brightness of the moon he had once worshipped in order to focus his gaze on the stars. Looking up at his former false god, Abraham chose to trust the Most High Instead, and isn't it true that when God gives us a promise, there are over 8,000 promises in the Bible, he doesn't do it in a vacuum. He does it just in the midst of everyday life. He does it in the midst of all that we hold dear, the things that we hold most precious, the things that take up our attention. And these are set alongside the promises of God. And God will often say to us, which will you choose? Will you choose to trust in your things? in your stuff, in your career, in your family? Or will you choose to trust in me? And what does Abraham do? Well, in Genesis 15, 6, we see one of the most famous verses in the Bible, which says, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. 
Abraham's belief melts away as he tries to count the stars in the sky. I can imagine him. One, two, three, four, five. Probably didn't get very far, did he? But in the midst of that, his unbelief melts away and we're told that he simply believes God. It isn't necessarily that he just believes the promise, but that he believes the promise giver, the one who gives the promise. He puts his faith in God himself. And by doing so, the promise. And what happens when he believes? Well, the verse goes on to say that God credits it to him as righteousness. In other words, Abraham's simple faith was enough to give him a right standing before God. And as if to reiterate the point, God backs up this promise that he gives by making a covenant with Abraham. We read about this in the subsequent verses of the passage. And if you were here a, a few weeks ago, Phil Varley talked a little bit about this. He sort of stole my thunder a little bit. But it's, but it's such a crucial moment in Scripture that it's worth looking at again. In ancient Middle East, what used to happen is that when a great lord wanted to make an agreement with a servant or a slave or someone lesser than him, instead of drawing up a contract, as we do today, so you write up a legal document and you both look at it and you both sign it, they would instead just arrange some animals on the floor and chop the animals in half. Okay, Strange, weird custom. But what happens is that when the servant takes the oath of loyalty to the Lord, the servant does so as he walks between the pieces. Why? Because he was acting out the curse of the covenant. He was saying, in effect, I swear loyalty to you, Lord, and if I do not keep my promise, may I be cut into pieces like these animals. But instead of God asking Abraham to walk through the pieces, as you would expect, Genesis 15 tells us that an incredible darkness descends and it was the darkness of judgment. And in the midst of the darkness, God appeared. He appears as a smoky, fiery pillar, just like at Mount Sinai later on. And as he passes through the pieces, he promises to bless Abraham. Now, Abraham was startled And all the commentators who look at this passage are startled. Why? Because God is not just saying, I will bless you to Abraham, but he is promising to die if he doesn't bless him. He's promising to be torn to pieces if he doesn't bless Abraham. That's amazing. But that's not all. Abraham has two shocks. The first shock was that God went through the pieces in this blazing torch. But the second shock was that Abraham himself was never called to go through the pieces. The ceremony ends, and then we're told in verse 18, and therefore God made a covenant with Abraham. It was amazing for the Lord to come and walk through the pieces, but for the servant not even to make the oath was unheard of. Abraham knew what it meant, even though he didn't know the detail, or even though he couldn't see precisely how this was going to work, But it meant that God was making the promise for both of them and he was taking the curse of the covenant on for both of them. And what he was doing was he was saying, not only will I be torn to pieces if I don't keep my promise, I'll be torn to pieces if you don't keep your promise. 
And although, as I mentioned earlier, there are no obvious conditions to the promise that God gives to Abraham. We don't see any conditions in chapter 12 or chapter 15. We do see later in Genesis 22, in the story where God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, that there is a condition. After Abraham showed he was willing to sacrifice his own son, we read that God says to him in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 20, I swear by myself that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Now this seems to contradict what I've just said, that the blessing would happen whether or not Abraham keeps his side of the agreement. And it would contradict it if Abraham's obedience was the thing that was required to earn the blessing. But Abraham's obedience was rather a confirmation or the fruit of Abraham's faith. It was, if you like, a sign that his faith in God was real. A bit like today where we have baptism as an outward sign of, of what was, what's happened internally. And this is the crux of the matter. This is the heart of the gospel. This is the point that we need to understand this morning, is that if we want a life of freedom in him, we need to understand what's going on here. We don't obey God in order to earn his love. Rather, we want to obey and please him because we love him. When you're in love with someone, you just want to do what pleases them, don't you? You You're not trying to do it to earn their favor. You're just like, I love you and I just, I want to do this. I want to please you. The thing is, our tendency is when we stuff up like Abraham did, time and time and time again, we, ha- we think that somehow we've got to do something to earn our way back into God's favor. I have to prove my worth. I have to show that I'm good enough, that I'm strong enough, that I'm able, that I can do this. God, I've stuffed up, but again, I'm going to keep going and keep trying to please you. And this only leads to misery. This only leads to, I can't do it, feeling worthless and useless. Oh, Abraham, oh, Abraham, God is saying, and to all of us, oh, my people, I will bless you no matter what, even if I have to literally be torn to pieces. And he was, because centuries later, darkness came down on Mount Calvary, thick darkness, and in the midst of the darkness, there was God in the person of Jesus Christ. And he was literally being torn to pieces. Nails, spears, thorns. Why? He was taking the covenant curse, the punishment that we deserve because of our wrongdoing. And in Galatians 3, the Apostle Paul tells us, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to us through Jesus Christ. The promise given to Abraham, unlike the promise we made to Hudson, was not conditional on his obedience. Hudson would not have received those kinder eggs if, we, if he had not behaved, right? We are legalistic parents, okay? The promise was conditional on Jesus' obedience on our behalf, and he took the punishment that we deserved so that we can come back into relationship with him. My dad's story, my story, your story are inextricably linked in with Abraham's story. 
this is amazing grace. Grace is completely and utterly amazing. A gift of God given to us. That God would choose the likes of you and me, weak individuals, to receive his promise. To receive eternal life in him by simply putting our trust in the finished work of Jesus. In what he has achieved through his death and resurrection. He took the punishment that we deserved on himself so that we might be viewed righteous, that we might be credited with righteousness in God's eyes. Let me finish today by telling you a story. And this happened when I was in South Africa. And a friend of mine called Danielle, we went into schools and we taught them. It was called Bible education. But in fact, it was just us wanting to just share the gospel with these young children. And we took a session on grace And I started off by just talking about the theology and sending them to sleep. And then Danielle had planned this thing where she basically took something that was precious to her. It was some earrings she was given on her 21st birthday. They were her most prized possession. And she said to herself, I'm going to give this to one of these girls that we're going to teach today. So when she mentioned it to them and mentioned how precious these earrings were, she said, who wants them? And this one girl said, yeah, yeah, I'll have them. And she said, here you go, they're yours. And the girl was like, what? What? She couldn't believe it. It was this amazing gift, precious gift that had been given. And then what happened at the end, as we were leaving, as the class was ending, is this girl came up to Danielle and said, here's your earrings back, thinking oh, it was just an illustration, it was just for the purposes. And Danielle said, no, 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 they're yours, you keep them. She went away, skipping and leaping for joy, telling her friends all about it. And God's gift is so much more valuable, so much more precious than these earrings. And he is offering to us life in him. The promises that came through Abraham carried on through the person of Jesus Christ. that We could be blessed in him. And what are you going to do this morning? Are we people who sort of take it and go, this can't be true. This can't be real. I've messed up so much. And you just give it back and say, God, no, 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 give it back to him. His response is this. It's yours. It's a free gift. Grace is scandalous. Grace seems totally unfair. It seems like, why does the punishment? But actually, no. God gives the gift of his son to us that we might come back into relationship with him. Amen? The band come up. Let's, Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what this story from Abraham offers us and teaches us. Lord, that you are the covenant-keeping God. You are the promise-keeper. You made a promise to Abraham all those years ago, which we enjoy the benefit of today. Shall we stand together? And let's just just sing in a moment. Just Just as we sing this song, I'd like you just to consider for a moment, with our eyes closed, am I someone who perhaps I've just got into this sort of chain of thought of thinking, I'm not, I'm not good enough. God won't accept me. I've just messed up again. And you've got into this habit of just trying to, as our society would say, prove yourself. Maybe it's in your job or in relationships or whatever it is. I've got to be someone. I've got to show myself. God doesn't want that for you. That just leads to misery. God wants you to come to him and receive the free gift this morning.
so as we just sing this fi- final song together, if that's you and you think, yeah, yeah, I just, I just want to be prayed for, you can, you can make your way forward. There, there are people here who will pray with you. You may want to respond as we, as we worship now. Amen.